electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Bring in show music, please. This is Squawk Pod. I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. Today on our podcast, two years we never saw coming. The word pandemic is something really big and scary and meaningful. CNBC's Meg Terrell on our progress in the COVID-19 pandemic and Pfizer CEO Albert Borla on what's still ahead. The biggest question of all of us it is how to stay ahead of the virus. It is very smart, knows how to mutate. We need to stay ahead of it constantly, and this is what we plan to do. Plus, Vladimir Putin hints at an end to violence in Ukraine, but what now? If you're McDonald's, Coca-Cola, or Starbucks... Do you go back in if there's peace? I don't know. I think that's a big question. It's Friday, March 11th, 2022. Squawk Pod begins right now. Stand under by in three, two, one. Cue Andrew. Good morning and welcome to Squawk Box right here on CNBC, live at the NASDAQ Market Set in Times Square. I'm Andrew Ross Sorkin along with Joe Kernan and Melissa Lee this morning. Becky's off. Lots going on. Melissa. Just last night, the Senate passed a $1.5 trillion funding bill to keep the government running through September and send aid to Ukraine. The motion to concur is agreed to. The legislation now heads to President Biden for a signature. The bill includes $13.6 billion for Ukraine, including aid for those displaced by the Russian invasion and the deployment of military equipment and troops to Europe. Now to the latest in Ukraine, authorities say that there are uh, cities, more cities that have been targeted by Russian airstrikes, including airports in two cities in the western part of the country. And new satellite images show the large Russian convoy outside of Kyiv have been redeployed to towns and forests on the outskirts, just 10 miles from the city center. Analysts say that could be a precursor for a ground assault on the capital. Vladimir Putin making some comments. Look at that now. Dow is up. 450 points, S&P higher by 63, and the Nasdaq is looking to gain 218 at the open. Putin just said there are, quote, certain positive shifts in the talks with Ukraine. Wow. That was enough to turn the futures around. Any sniff of progress uh, in this war. And Putin says that, so we believe it? I don't know what to think. What we were even looking for, listening to Lavrov talk yesterday and what was coming out of his mouth. I don't know if you believe anything. It comes directly from Putin. Is he looking for an exit ramp? Is he really furious? Has he really fired some generals? Is it really not going well? Would he be... I mean, it's taking much longer. Would it be, right. much bloodier would he than be, he ever anticipated. If, would Zelensky say, okay, take this? Uh, on the east here, and we won't go into NATO. And would Putin accept that? That that would be a way. That it, and and is it okay for us to say, all right, well, look, he's got you. You're going to have to let him feel like he's winning. He's going to have to be able to yeah. say, I won. He's going to have to say, one to his people. He's going to have to say, one to the world. Right. Next positive step, obviously, would be if we hear any sniff of a one-on-one -on -one meeting between Zelensky and Putin, because they have said in the past that any progress would have to be made, any deal would have to be made, leader to leader as opposed to just through spokespeople or, or ministers. Putin's a KGB, former KGB guy, right? So he has access 
to what people are saying about him around the world. The Russian people don't right. know what they're mm -hmm. saying. So he knows. Mm -hmm. If he ever, ever intends to be on the world stage again and he sees what the perception of the entire globe is for what he's doing, is it possible that he has second thoughts about civilian casualties? And, and unless you're, a, I mean, don't you have to be a sociopath to, to, to sort of allow that or, or to actually designate civilian areas for strafing and, and bombing? Do you bombing? think that he can be on the world stage at this point? You, think, you don't think he's already passed if he some were, kind of if line? If he were to somehow say, okay, I'm magnanimous and, you know, I, we did have a, you know, they were, there's genocide on Russians that were in the eastern region, the breakaway regions. If I can get those and, and I can feel good about the security, we didn't try it with the hospital. I mean, if he goes all the way, he never can. You think then what does he have to lose at this point? I just think that when, that, that you I mean, could, if there's no turning back, right, that is, which is what sounds like you're saying. No, I'm no saying if, if, if maybe him, in his mind if he thinks that he could cut his, maybe losses. he could cut his losses. What I don't understand is, okay, let's say, he, let's say he makes a deal. Yeah. You think he can show up at some G7 meeting? You think that he can have a meeting at the White House well, with the president? The you think, think he can show up at, at the World Economic Forum? The Saudi guy, the Saudi guy's back. Can can he invest? He can he attract foreign investment dollars that again? That too. Can companies, can, you know, right. U.S. and allies again operate in Russia, it or has he permanently somehow, you know? basically shut that off. Well, you or tell me, if you're, if you're McDonald's, Coca-Cola, or Starbucks. Do you Starbucks. go back in right. if there's peace? Right. I don't know. I think that's a big question. You, you, or would, have you... you would in a year or two. Yeah. But in the meantime, think of the isolation that the Russia way, faces. Right. No, if he goes all the way, he won't. But the question is, would you even in a year or two? Maybe. Like I said, it's not even close, the Saudi situation, but we all suddenly for, we totally forgot about that at this right. point. We're back begging them for By the way, I, I know we're going to run out of time. Fantastic and uh, fascinating story. I don't know if you saw it. NBC News wrote last night about Goldman Sachs. Did you see this? Because, uh, you know, Goldman Sachs says they're getting out oh, yeah. of mm -hmm. Russia. And yet, apparently, they are still selling um, lots of Russian debt in the secondary market. Right. Question is whether they should be or not. It was actually just acting as a market maker. They're acting as a market maker, but so they the, don't actually take any position. But the but the issue, mm -hmm. at least as the article raised, is who is the actual seller of the stuff? Look, if it's a pension fund or a sovereign wealth fund that's trying to sell down some 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 Russian debt, maybe that's fine. But because you don't know who the sellers really are in certain uh -huh. cases, you know, are they are they oligarchs or other Russians that are trying to get rid of debt? that are doing it through other means. Look, the Goldman Sachs, I should say, by the way, in the article specifically states that they have measures in place to make sure that they are not right. uh, doing business with those that are sanctioned. But it was very interesting, and I only, it, only, it only hit me when, you, when we're talking about right. Starbucks and others saying they're getting out, Goldman Sachs saying they're getting out, but clearly in the moment right. are still working with some of this stuff. That reminds me of, of Lloyd in front of the Senate when he was saying, he was scratching his head when they were asking this question, didn't understand what it meant. It, no, we're market makers. We're not, I mean, it sounds like, like, like the same thing. Here we go again. And then one other point that I was making, that I was thinking about, the oligarchs are like, Vlad, man, my yacht. I mean, can we think about this? Uh, you know, let's, I mean, they are, there's got to be a lot of people that are pressuring him at this point. Think I would of, think. Think of the oligarchs who, you know, have huge stakes in companies or Russian right. assets. Right. That are but how much does he care what they well, think? I don't know. 
And that's what I was saying. And if it's just Most he cares about Mother Russia and if anymore. he cares about Mother Russia, and that's the only perception of him that he cares about, then he won't care about world opinion either. But something seems like it might be, maybe this is the beginning of something that's right. not as terrible as, as the, the worst case scenarios that we've all thought about. Up next on Squawk Pod, a pandemic turns two, looking back on a remarkable time with CNBC's Meg Terrell. We had no immunity, no vaccines, no drugs. And we've come a long way. Pfizer was the first company to complete an effective COVID-19 vaccine. The CEO, Albert Borla, on getting shots in arms and moving forward. We can't have vaccines every five, six months. We need to be able to move as soon as possible to a situation that an annual revaccination will do the job. At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product, services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration. Our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Welcome back to Squawk Pod. We are marking a weird anniversary today. Where were you the day the world changed? COVID-19 can be characterized as a pandemic. Two long years since these remarks from the head of the World Health Organization. Pandemic is not a word to use lightly. Two years of a new vocabulary, social distancing, mandates, mRNA. Nearly one million Americans have died in the COVID-19 pandemic. We are still seeing more than 1,000 daily deaths in the U.S. CNBC's Meg Terrell has been covering what we once called the novel coronavirus from the first headlines in 2020 through the shutdowns, the surges, and the race for a vaccine. I caught up with her over Zoom. March 11th. 2022 is two years after March 11th, 2020, which was a pretty big date in history. So we were still in the studio. The word pandemic is something really big and scary and meaningful, even to people who don't know anything about public health. And we all know a lot more about public health now than we did two years ago, but it really meant something. Hey, Charlotte, listen, we have some breaking news. I remember like running down after the declaration. The World Health Organization has now officially declared the coronavirus outbreak a global pandemic. The Dow Jones Industrial Average is now down by more than 1,000 points. Meg Terrell joining us now has more on the WHO, Meg. Scott Wapner was anchoring and, you know, he was talking about this sort of pronouncements that people were making about how many people could be affected by the coronavirus and, and die from the coronavirus. And we were just reflecting on the fact that we had no immunity, no vaccines, no drugs. Google has told 100,000 of its North American employees to stay home. Dozens of other companies have told their workers to stay home. Like we, we were just so vulnerable. But I do remember um, 
somebody asking me in the newsroom, like, are, how do you feel about this? Are you worried about it during the Ebola outbreak? I would have gone to West Africa to cover that if we had wanted me to, um, because I understood how Ebola was transmitted and I, I wasn't worried about catching Ebola, even if I had gone to a place like that. And so I remember telling somebody, yeah, I, I, I'd be more worried about this. And they said, more worried about the actual virus or about all the hype around the virus. And I was like, no, the actual virus. So it's just, it's really interesting to look back at that and just to see, you know, we're two years in and we're, this is the biggest thing that's happened to any of us. You spoke to Dr. Fauci, the nation's leading infectious disease doctor, who was not really a household name um, before <laughs> March of 2020. Um, probably he preferred it that way. Yeah. Hey, Meg, how are you? Great. How are you? Hanging in there. He has sort of two main takeaways. One is just the triumph of science and how it really, we showed what it can do and that the decades of preparation and the, the science that was going on ahead of all of this really paid off to deliver a vaccine in record time and to deliver new therapeutics. The one really big success story has been the science. I mean, the ability to do something as, as unprecedented in some respects as the virus and this outbreak is, so too is the unprecedented speed with which we've been able to mobilize the decades of investment in basic and clinical research to develop more than one vaccine. At the same time, he seemed, and it's not surprising, but just to hear him kind of talk about it, just that we haven't been able to do better with getting more people vaccinated. The really challenging aspect of it has been a combination of a public health challenge, namely the lack of our ability, despite our intentions, of implementing a broad vaccine effort. Having so many people for a variety of reasons, the likes of which we've never seen in any public health arena, is individuals and groups and entire segments of the population of the United States, but also throughout the world, who see vaccination as a infringement on their rights as opposed to a life-saving intervention. It's a very complicated situation. This two years, I mean, to say it's been challenging is, is the understatement of the century. One of the things Dr. Fauci and I talked about is that the numbers are going in the right direction right now. You know, we've come out of this historic surge of Omicron and there's this hope that we're done. Like it's the last one. Everybody wants to return to normal. Everybody wants to put the, vac the virus behind us in the rear view mirror, which is, I think, what we should aspire to. And in fact, you're absolutely correct, Meg, we are going in the right direction. However, we have gone in the right direction in four other variants. So we don't know the answer to your question. So, you know, why we should expect that we won't go in the wrong direction again is an open question. But we have more built-up immunity now. We have vaccines. We have antivirals. So we are in a better place. But it doesn't mean that we're not going to see another variant, another threat. We're going to hear from Albert Borla. He's another character who sort of emerged um, in, in this pandemic with both a personal and a professional story. And it's one that he's 
really excited about the triumph, the success, what we've won. Nobody thought it was possible to develop a vaccine in less than a year. We've never seen that happen before, but it it did. And it was also, it was Pfizer that got there first, which was really fascinating because while they were a big player in vaccines, they weren't one of those sort of public health you know, focused companies that was always there when there was an Ebola or a Zika or some kind of, you know, threat. And so it is really remarkable to think about what Pfizer accomplished and how. And of course, Borla wrote about it in a new book out this week called Moonshot. He was only a year into the CEO job when this happened and he was changing the company around already. He was kind of slimming it down, trying to make it more agile, more to you know, think about itself like a biotech company, you know, because a lot of these companies, they've got all these sort of legacy brands and Pfizer had a lot of those too. Um, things that aren't really, you know, focused on cutting edge medicine or, or a lot of growth. Um, and so Pfizer has really changed and sort of emerged from this as like the, obviously the biggest pharmaceutical company in the world, which it pretty much already was, but it had slimmed down and now it's giant again. And it has all this COVID revenue coming in from its vaccine and its drug. And I think it'll be really fascinating to see what Borla and what Pfizer do with that in the years ahead. Here's Meg with Pfizer CEO Albert Borla, and you'll hear Andrew Ross Sorkin in this interview as well. Thanks for being with us. This is a, a big milestone. To you, what's the biggest question on your mind right now, two years into this pandemic? I think the biggest question of all of us is how to stay ahead of the virus. This has been proven to be a virus, but it is very smart, knows how to mutate, knows how to, to create uh, opportunities for his survival, and uh, science must win. So we need to stay ahead of it uh, constantly, and uh, this is what we plan to do. Well, one of the ways I think you've talked about doing that is continuing to test your vaccine. And you've mentioned you are close to filing uh, with the FDA for a fourth dose. Tell us about where the latest on that stands, what the data show. I think we are going to submit to FDA a significant package of data about uh, the need for a fourth dose. And they need to make their own conclusions, of course. And then CDC also to, to see it. Uh, clearly, there is a need in, the, uh, in an environment of Omicron. Um, to boost the immune response. I don't think that we would be a need in Delta. Uh, I was thinking always that after the third dose, we will need annual revaccinations. Uh, with Omicron, uh, the situation is more challenging, so we may need the fourth dose. But that's something that FDA needs to decide and the CDC needs to recommend. The same is with every other country. Many countries already started recommending a fourth dose, and uh, we will see how uh, the authorities here will think about it. Mm. Do the data that you have suggest a fourth dose may be needed for everybody or perhaps just certain populations, the elderly or more vulnerable? I think the data will show that uh, the immune protection against Omicron uh, is very good after three doses when it comes against hospitalization or deaths. Not as good, but pretty good also against infections. But hospitalization, this is very good, the third dose, but doesn't last uh, long. Uh, after three, four months, starts waning. Uh, that's Omicron everybody. And um, uh, clearly, the, the risk after when you have waning immune uh, responses is higher for people that they have uh, high age, they are older, or they have underlying conditions, but the immune responses are waning for all. I see. One of the things you've also talked about is 
uh, testing the vaccine and developing new versions of the vaccine to better fight variants. Uh, what can you tell us about that, both on, on the near term in terms of Omicron specifically, whether that'll get updated potentially later this year, but then also on a sort of pan-variant vaccine, which I believe you've talked about as well? Yes, I think people and uh, what the medical uh, profession needs, what the health authorities need, is a version of the vaccine that, first of all, lasts quite a bit. So we can't have vaccines every five, six months. We need to be able to move as soon as possible to a situation that an annual revaccination uh, will do the job. And so we are working on new versions that uh, will try to provide this annual protection. But also we know that the, the, the virus mutates. So we are working on uh, new versions that um, will be able to protect not only against uh, the old viruses, but the old variants, but also against uh, Omicron. So we are not making a, 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 a um, vaccine that it is specific to Omicron. We are making a vaccine that covers Omicron and all the other uh, variants. And um, there are so much trials that are going right now, and a lot of them will start reading uh, by the end of the month and then much more next month. So we will have a lot of of data next month. But uh, I am optimistic from the preclinical data, but the clinical data will demonstrate uh, that uh, we can achieve the goal, which is to cover both the old and the new variants, all variants, known so far. Some of the data I think you might also be expecting next month are for kids under five for your vaccine. Any clarity on that situation? There was that back and forth where the FDA asked Pfizer to file with just two doses. Then it said, oh, wait, we need to wait for three. What can you tell us about that? Yes, we, we started uh, by hoping to bring a two doses vaccine. And uh, we started that when Omicron was not there. Uh, the studies uh, started and they were quite uh, <laughs> doing very well against uh, the Delta variant. But then things changed and then we had the Omicron coming. Uh, we knew that uh, in adults, you need three doses. The two doses, they don't work well against Omicron. And we realized that that would be the case also for kids. However, there was a huge need because of Omicron for kids. Omicron, you know, has this specificity that although uh, it has uh, more mild symptoms, high transmissibility, but milder symptoms in adults, affected way more kids than uh, Delta. Uh, and um, the calls from pediatricians and, of course, from the public, from parents, but pediatricians mainly, to us and to FDA, um, it was so high that we discussed the possibility to submit the two days data, knowing that uh, it's not going to be spectacular the second dose, but at least we can start giving the doses to the kids, and then the third dose will come uh, to, to, to demonstrate how effective the vaccine is. Um, we decided to, after a lot of back and forth, to wait for the third dose uh, so that we can have a very clear picture, because it is equally important also to make sure that uh, the data are believable by the public. So we waited to, to see what the full picture will, will, will tell. And um, those are coming. It's weeks, ago. it's weeks away. Hey, Albert, in, in terms of what comes next, and you think about the, the new vaccines that you're developing, so far they've worked very well against severe disease, but how do you think that shifts or doesn't when it comes to infection come next fall and next winter, especially in an environment as we've reopened, people aren't wearing masks and the like, infection becomes an issue unto itself. I fully agree. 
I fully agree. And we should not underestimate that we need to have vaccines that pre prevent also infections. Because otherwise, more infections you have, more people uh, will have a tendency to go to hospitals eventually. Irrelevant if you protect better or not. But do, but do you think that the vaccines that are in development are going to work against infection as opposed to simply against severe disease? Because one of the things that frankly, sort of undermine confidence, I think, in the country about vaccination unto itself is the idea that it's not necessarily preventing infection. Now, the truth is, I think that when we were just dealing with Delta, the vaccine did a pretty good job, at least initially, of helping prevent infection. But when it came to Omicron, it didn't. No, first of all, you're right. Against Delta, the vaccine was very, very effective against infections. And not only initially, it lasted six months, the second dose, and the third likely would last a year. So I don't think that uh, we had an issue with that. Omicron is what created the issues. And Omicron protects, uh, the vaccine protects very well against hospitalization, but not as good as uh, against infections. What we are trying to do, it is to have a vaccine that also prevents against infections, against Omicron and against the other variants. Um, clearly, it's very, very important that you prevent against hospitalizations and deaths. That makes huge difference to public health and to human pain. But it's way better if you can prevent against infections as well. And to keep the bar very high, we want to achieve also that. Well, Albert, just thinking about where we stand now two years into this, um, <clears throat> you know, one of the things you wrote about in your book, Moonshot, is the preparation that had to go into, you know, being ready to have the science to be able to do that incredible nine-month race to getting this vaccine. And then, of course, you guys also developed this antiviral. As we are here uh, now two weeks in, having uh, two years in, having gone through this major Omicron surge, Congress now uh, just sidelined new coronavirus funding for the Biden administration's um, you know, new plan for COVID. Are, are you concerned that we are not setting ourselves up to be prepared for what comes next? Have we moved on from this? Have policymakers moved on from this too quickly? Yes, I am concerned. I'm concerned. And uh, the reasons why I'm concerned it is because right now, the only vehicle that um, Americans can access uh, vaccines or the pills, particularly because they are under emergency use authorization, it is only through purchases from the government. There are no other channels. It's not allowed to go and sell it right now uh, through, let's say, the normal channels that uh, all the medics are finding their way to the patients. So if uh, the government doesn't have money, nobody can get the, the vaccine. So it's a concern, and I hope that uh, pretty soon common sense will prevail and uh, they will release the funds. All right, Albert Borla, thanks so much for being with us on this big day. We really appreciate it. Thank you. There is still more Squawk Pod to come. Just one more story. America's pastime will be back in the swing of things with some changes. How does it change the betting game? I will be now able to bet on baseball. So that should be good for DraftKings. <laughs> At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> The UPS. Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product, services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. 
like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Standby, Joe. Soundbite and Alpha coming up. Baseball is back. Owners and the Players Union reached a labor deal that paves the way for spring training um, to begin. And opening day will now be April 7th. Not bad. Uh, the deal ends the 99-day lockout, extending the season uh, by three days and adding multiple doubleheaders on the schedule. Uh, to make up for some lost games, salaries will be increased and playoffs will be expanded to 12 teams, up from 10. Jersey sponsorship patches will now be allowed, opening up a new revenue stream. And the National League will adopt the designated hitter uh, rule, meaning pitchers will no longer have to hit. And several new changes will be adopted next season, including a pitcher's clock and limits to some of those defensive shifts, uh, which you see the entire right or left hand side of the field covered for a hitter that either pulls or, or, does, or, or doesn't pull ball, and he gets out every time in the, in the offense. Some people think is hurt, so that's not going to be allowed anymore either. Both moves are aimed to improve game action and cut down on the duration of games. I just looked it up. We didn't make 50 years since the American League adopted the designated hitter, but we would have next year. It was 1973. I never liked it because I was a Reds fan and a National League fan. I thought that the manager had to do a lot more thinking about, okay, the pitcher's coming up to, to hit. Do I, do I pinch hit for him now? Do I make a switch now? You just put a big brute in there, you know, that can hit, hit and no fielding ability whatsoever. And it's like, why are we doing that? But after 50 years, you know, we play American League teams all the time, so when you're in their ballpark, you stick in the designated hitter. When you're at home, your pitcher's got to hit. So it's time, to, it's time I guess, uh, to make that change. When it was adopted, and this I didn't know, I just looked it up, they said it was the biggest rule change since foul balls were ruled to be strikes. So there was a time where foul balls were, I guess, we're not ruled to be strikes. So that was a big rule change long ago. I didn't see that. I wasn't there for that. How Don't the, say that. Is it, much, is, it, is it going to be a much higher scoring game this way? We go we back. Know? Well, we go back. It, it, we go back to not uh, doing the seven inning doubleheaders. Right. And we go back to not putting a guy on second base in extra inning games. So they say they want to make them quicker, you know, with the pitcher on a clock and things like that. But we're going to back to where you can have a 16-inning game, 17-inning game. When you put a guy on second at the beginning of, of uh, extra innings, a lot of times you would, you would get scores very quickly. I don't know if you noticed that last. Uh, but it's all good. It's all good. Um, I was wondering how does this how change the betting occupy, game? Huh? How does this change the betting game? Oh, that's a good question. Uh, it, it changes it in that I will be now able to bet on baseball since there will be a season. So that helps. And that I, should be good for DraftKings, yes. like, which No, no you like. know what? I'm not uh, DraftKings. I'm not a good person for DraftKings because I have the same. I do okay. I, break, I kind of break even. I kind of break even. I've had the same $150 in 
I finally had to replenish it, but it had been a year. It had been a year, honest to God. And if, now, if you stay on the platform and yeah. you don't leave, yeah. you're a good customer well, how? right now because uh, they have I to spend a lot of money I... to get new new people they in. They do, they do, but they don't. That's what the game is right now. It's all promotional. Okay, but I got the same money in it. If I'm not putting money in, they're not getting any, right? Yeah, but when they talk to investors, they can say that they have all these people on their platform. They have active betters, and you're one of them. Well, that's today, a good thing. You, you cannot believe what's going on today. In, in, I mean, all the tournaments. I mean, UConn, Villanova, uh, Indiana, Illinois at, at 1130. I, I got one in there already just to make sure. You could say thank you. I thank can say you. thank you. We can thank Melissa together. Thanks to everybody. Thanks to everybody. Thank you. Isn't it implied? You. Don't you know that, that we have to thank you? when You, you know that, that we're Yeah, because this is hard duty. No, I mean, it's this not. Is like I saw you this morning say you were Real up and at, you were up and at him this morning and excited. I saw that on your Twitter feed. Let's get right. You said that up and up and let's go get him. Can you really read emotion through just words? Could be sarcastic. Okay, time for more thanks to Meg Terrell and producer Leanne Miller for their assistance on today's pod. And thanks to you, our listeners. Two years ago, we tried to figure out how to keep this daily podcast going, bring you the jokes, the ideas, the information from Squawk Box in an audio-only format. I never thought I'd spend all this time talking to strangers from my closet, but life can surprise us. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. This podcast is produced by me, Katie Kramer, Cameron Costa, and Caroline Rahotis. John Lazration is our editor and all-around fix-it man. Squawk Pod is available for free wherever you get your podcasts. Have a great weekend. And like always, we will meet you right back here on Monday. We are clear. Thanks, guys. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. 